Welcome to the Nanalyze podcast. We are a boutique media and research firm specializing in disruptive innovation. Visit nanalyze.com for more details. CRM stock analysis is the title of today's presentation. If you're somebody that's invested in Salesforce stock or thinking about holding CRM stock, then this is a presentation you'll want to watch. Now, somebody brought up Salesforce on our YouTube channel, and that actually made me think about earlier on in my career when I was heavily involved in CRM. So uh, when I finished my MBA, uh, after a lot of knocking on doors, I managed to secure myself an internship at Morgan Stanley at the time. And I joined a UK asset manager sales team that was selling index and risk management products, and they wanted to sell better. So I used Microsoft Access to build a fully functional CRM application in the months that I worked with the team, and that involved trying to answer a number of questions. So, for example, who's paying us money? Well, that came from finance, so I went to finance and extracted all that information. And then we needed to know what the total addressable market was, so who are the potential clients that we can sell to? So I found somebody that was doing business strategy there, and they had some data, and I extracted that. And then there, of course, was the list of clients that we're currently trying to sell to, internal contact lists and whatnot. So I aggregated all that data, connected it together using primary keys, and made it available to the sales team. So I think in a matter of six weeks, uh, we had a fully functional CRM application that the team was using. I ended up demoing this to a C-level person in the organization because they absolutely loved it. And this led to the firm adopting Salesforce. So our division was spun out into what is now MSCI today. It also led into my first full-time job in finance. So when we spun that division out, it went from being a $2 billion market cap to the $40 billion company that it is today. And that's all about their ability to sell. So when we adopted Salesforce, I was also involved in that as well, and this taught me everything that I know about enterprise software sales, and it's a conversation in itself. This stuff is fascinating. So you start with leads, and these can just be individuals calling. Then those work their way into opportunities, so there's product interest, and you weight those opportunities, the likelihood of them being completed. That makes up a sales pipeline, and you can start to do forecasting. So my role at the firm, the first half of my career there was in uh, client services. So we actually had a lot of interest coming in from potential clients. So I started what was called the uh, client service lead template or CSLT. And we would actually take a paper from Salesforce, a profile of a client. We'd print that out and we'd hand it to salespeople because they would not pay much attention to those leads that were coming in on the phone. And I think that we were responsible, those lead templates were responsible for 24% of um, UK or UK and Europe sales uh, the year that we implemented those. So um, I ended up training half the global sales team in that firm on how to use Salesforce. So I know the product quite well, and I could tell you that it's just spectacular. It, if you can't sell without a tool like Salesforce, they did a tremendous job. Well, that was a decade ago, more than a decade ago. So what's the company been up to since? And this is the first time that we've looked at this firm in the context of being investors in it as opposed to looking at the wonderful product that they built. So basically what Salesforce does, they're a global leader in uh, customer relationship management. By the way, that's what CRM stands for. 
probably should have brought that up earlier. They bring companies and their customers together. Now, when you look at their latest investor deck, you can see here where they've break, broken down revenues into these buckets. They have sales, service, platform. You can see the Slack icon there. If you're not familiar with Slack, that's a communications tool they use in enterprises. We'll talk about that more. You have marketing and commerce data. Some of these categories have been shored up by acquisitions the company has been making, but their bread and butter was the CRM tool. And when we look at market share, remember, we always want to invest in leaders. And when you look at market share, this is the percentage of total addressable market captured. You can see that as of 2021, Salesforce was the dominant provider of CRM applications with a close to 24% market share. And then the firms they're competing with, SAP, Oracle, Microsoft, and Adobe are all trailing with, let's say, less than 6% market share. The question that we'd have would be around just how much the total addressable market has been penetrated. So when we look at acquisitions that CRM has made or Salesforce has made over time, you can see here their biggest acquisition and one that investors have been quite critical of was of the close to $28 billion they paid for Slack. By the way, this graphic is phenomenal. And uh, it would be nice if every firm uh, put something together that was this easy to read and insightful. Look at their major acquisitions here. If you go down to the bottom, you can see Exact Target. They bought that for $2.5 billion at the time. That was nine times revenue. And then look over to the right. Now it's $3 billion in revenues. So it's grown over 10 times. And that means that they essentially paid one time revenue for that. Now, you can go up the list here and see that uh, the various major acquisitions they had and the growth that they've seen from those. But what we took particular notice of is the $48 billion in goodwill this firm has on their balance sheet as a result of, one might say, overpaying for these companies. And we'll probably do a piece in the future that really examines goodwill and how one might make that accusation and um, reflect it in metrics. You can't just say, well, $48 billion is a lot of money, so they overpaid. Well, it has to be relative to the total amount paid. But again, that these are things that need some research before you can start saying things like that. But that was interesting to note. Now, when we look at their total addressable market, they claim $290 billion, you can see here, by 2026. That's a pretty big number. On the left there, you can see where they're at right now. Again, remember these categories, sales, service, digital, platform, data. But when you look at how they're building these estimates, pretty broad stuff. So you read in the footnotes, their TAM calculations, for example, sales, service, marketing, commerce, cross CRM, based on Gartner forecast enterprise application software worldwide. Seems like a pretty broad net there. And then when you look at Things like their um, data category, they're including a whole ton of stuff in there. So robotic process automation, analytics and BI platforms. Look at all those categories that they're including in there. So to say that their TAM is $290 billion seems rather exaggerated. We'd be most interested in understanding the penetration of CRM systems in terms of new clients that Salesforce can potentially capture. We would suspect that a lot of the low-hanging fruit has already been addressed, and 
firms that are haven't adopted a CRM system from one of these vendors would be falling behind the times. Now, this adage here, the bigger tech companies become, the harder it is to tell what they do is indeed the case. When you look here at companies of a similar size to Salesforce, you see names like Oracle and Adobe and Texas Instruments. There's a newcomer there, Netflix. But what Salesforce has in common with other firms like Adobe is that it's a SaaS company. So it's a software as a service company. It's the original SaaS company. In fact, this is where I learned all about SaaS business models and SaaS metrics. So you can see here this gentleman, Mike Saunders, put together this list. It's rather handy. It shows the 50 biggest SaaS companies on U.S. exchanges, which he has um, quantified by saying those with greater than 65% of revenue attributed to recurring payments for cloud-based software. So the market actually assigns a premium to SaaS firms because they're easy to follow. They scale quite well. They have high gross margins typically. But the problem that we have with Salesforce, and I was just blown away to discover this, is there's no SaaS metrics. So everything that I learned in implementing Salesforce, these concepts of net retention rate, gross retention rate, run rates, buckets of clients based on spend, all these important metrics, they're not there. In place, we have garbage like representation goals, where this firm thinks that reaching 40% women identifying and non-binary employees globally by the end of 2026 is what they ought to be focused on, which is absolutely ludicrous. If you've spent any time in a global firm hiring, you'd know how stupid that statement is. So just open office in Manila, where the majority of employees you'll hire will be female and lift that ratio. It's it's stupid. And this other... Um, statement they make here that uh, in fiscal 2023, all EVPs, presidents, and executive officers had a component of their incentive compensation plans tied to this rubbish is despicable. The single best thing any firm can do right now is can their DEI department. So Salesforce falls flat on their face when it comes to focusing on what matters, which is hiring people based on their ability to execute. So the founder and CEO of Salesforce is under a lot of um, criticism, uh, mainly from activist investors. So if you have one or two activist investors coming around, these are individuals that are critical of firms that they're invested in, where they believe that things can be done a lot better. And you look at the things that activist investors are saying about Salesforce. There's quite a few coming around now. They're saying that Salesforce needs to cut expenses. So I know that they refer to everybody in Salesforce as part of the family. But you don't go to, to, to your place of employment to belong to a family. You go there to bust your ass, get things done, and climb the corporate ladder. That's what most competent people do. Now, people that aren't competent will gravitate towards firms where competency isn't the measure that's used to promote. So you have a problem there where that they could be cutting a lot more expenses, boosting their earnings, executing a better secession plan, perhaps even selling slack. That's another criticism. So when you look at these activist investors that are um, going after Salesforce, you see Third Point, that's uh, a billionaire investor there who's had a lot of high-profile fights, including Disney, Campbell, Shell. In 2020, he launched, launched a campaign to oust Intel's CEO in 2021. You have Value Act. They've added their... CEO and CIO to Salesforce's board. So then they're able to um, 
command more leverage on getting things done. You have Elliott Management. They want to see way more focus by Salesforce CEO on succession planning and expense management. Again, Starboard disappointed in Salesforce's expense management. And Strive, we've covered them. You know, it's a real shame that now uh, any criticisms of DEI or ESG are automatically corralled into a particular particular political party when, in fact, the majority of individuals that in the time that I was in the firm when this stuff was first coming about that were critical of this stuff, that were competent hiring managers, were all on the other side of the political party. They don't believe that you should hire on things other than merit. So Strive is um, critical of Salesforce choosing politics over profits, race baiting over revenue, and virtue signaling over value. Strive uh, before their uh, CEO and founder became all political and announced that he was running for the U.S. president, actually had a lot of good things to say and still does, but now he's you know head deep in politics. So kind of takes away from this idea of anti-ESG, which everybody should be complaining about. But moving on, so when we look at the accusations made by activist investors about the acquisition of Slack by Salesforce, you can see here this chart we took from CloudFuse, Microsoft Teams, over 20 million, 270 million users in 2022 compared to Slack's 18 million active users. This is a problem. So this is another criticism of the amount of money Salesforce paid. And it would be interesting to dig in and to break that goodwill down across those acquisitions and see how much of the acquisition of Slack was in goodwill, but there are criticisms about how they're going to be able to compete with Microsoft. There's plenty of unanswered questions coming out of this presentation. So assuming the CRM space is mature, we would assume it is, how much blue ocean TAM is left for Salesforce to capture? Um, but the other thing to note here, of course, is that when you're selling people CRM software, that means you can sell them lots of other things as well, and that's what Salesforce is doing. Question might be here, what's the next big acquisition that they make? Um, and, and, a, and a bigger question, I think, from investors is what exactly is the theme we're getting exposure to here once they expand beyond CR, CRM? And what's the upside to expect from here? Well, you could say, if activists actually achieve what they're trying to do, there's a lot of potential upside, but what if that value never gets unlocked? So without a doubt, Salesforce has had a tremendous track record of revenue growth. It's nothing but phenomenal, but what does the future hold for this company? Um, is there an opportunity out there that has fewer unanswered questions in the SaaS space, and we'd argue that there is. So when you look at this list of the 50 biggest SaaS companies out there, there are some great names there. You can see in yellow the firms that we've covered, and I think we probably hold four of the names that you see on this list. So we think there are better alternatives to Salesforce while they try to sort themselves out. And I just wanted to touch briefly on our approach to investing, since a lot of people will say, you're quite critical of firms. And indeed, we are. We take an alternative approach. Whilst most pundits out there tell you what you should invest in, we try to focus on what you shouldn't invest in. You should always be most critical of the stocks that you're most bullish on. So this is a quick look at our approach to investing. You can see that the majority of our assets are in safe 
that's in Quantigens and Europe and Asia funds and whatnot. And we only have 13% of our overall assets under management in our riskier strategy, which is the 36 tech stocks that we're holding in our portfolio. I think somewhere around 25% of that exposure is in SaaS firms, and Salesforce wouldn't be on that list. So just to conclude, Salesforce is a SaaS firm without the SaaS metrics. Again, I just couldn't believe that. I double-checked, triple-checked to try to find why they didn't publish SaaS metrics. I couldn't find them. They have phenomenal revenue growth and a history of just really driving revenues through the roof, but they're also focused on a lot of wrong things. And you can tell that by all the activist investors coming around, giving current investors in this company hope that maybe they can start to manage their expenses better and focus on what matters. We think right now there are better SaaS plays with better metrics. So I put up another video here that you might find interesting before you click that. Please click the Analyze logo on the right. Subscribe to our channel. Thanks so much for taking the time to watch this today. Thank you for listening to the Nanalyze podcast. If you found this information useful, please share this episode with a friend. This helps us to continue to provide thorough research for you. Want more research like this? Want to know what we're invested in and what stocks we're avoiding? Head to nanalyze.com and consider becoming a premium annual subscriber to get access to premium articles, webinars, and our extensive tech stock catalog. Thank you for your time.